0: I'm Ray Barry, and this is the Audio Wave Café podcast. On this episode, my guest is sax player and author John Barrow. First, I talk about a new code of conduct coming out in the UK in 2023, aiming to combat racism in music. And I'll be shining a spotlight on 60s pop star Del Shannon and his country connection. I'll also be playing Daylight by the Fun Loving Criminals with John Barrow on sax. Moving on. Let's go. Following on from a previous podcast topic where I talked about a report published by the Black Lives in Music organisation that found evidence of systemic racism in the UK music industry. A new code of conduct to combat this problem is being rolled out in 2023. Chief Executive Cherise Beaumont said, The music industry is like the Wild West. There is no central place to report bad behaviour. And she's right. The music industry in the UK has never been accountable to any government department or organisation. The code of conduct has the backing of the Independent Standards Authority, which, quote, will be able to provide accountability and advice to the creative industries to improve standards of behaviour. We can only hope it will be effective and make record companies and associated businesses commit to safe working environments for all staff. But will the Code of Conduct be able to penalise errant companies or individuals who will not implement it? After George Floyd's murder in 2020, many record labels, publishers and promotion companies on both sides of Atlantic pledged to bring in anti-racist plans and procedures, but hardly anything meaningful came of it. So will those organisations be made to take effective action? Will this code of conduct actually help those who experience racism in many forms, from lack of promotion opportunities to racist jokes? Will those who feel they should complain do so, or just back down because of fear of losing their jobs or prospects, which is a fear for employees in many other industries? No doubt fighting racism in all its forms is an ongoing process, but this code of conduct for the music industry is a start. And that has been a very long time coming. My guest today is John Barrow, sax player and author. He's probably best remembered for being co-founder of 80s band The Swinging Laurels. He's also recorded and toured with many top acts, including Iggy Pop, The Specials and The Clash. He's written a book titled How Not to Make It in the Pop World, Diary of an Almost Has-Been. <laughs> I know all about that. John, thanks so much for joining me on this call.
1: No problem, Ray. It's lovely to be here. Thanks for asking.
0: Oh, you're welcome. And we've also got uh, a guest here who you know very well, uh, John Hewitt, sitting in the background, looking cool.
1: A stompy. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. has a certain ring to it, don't you think? <laughs> I don't know quite what it means, <laughs>
0: No. John, what inspired you to take up the saxophone?
1: Um, the main reason was uh, I always wanted to be in a band. My dad was in uh, a singer on the Leicester clubs uh, back in the late 50s, early 60s, and um, he took me to a load of uh, the shows that he did. Um, but the thing that really galvanised me was uh, the first time I saw Roxy Music at Leicester de Montfort Hall in uh, 1972. Uh, It was really singing Andy Mackay on sax. I I was just totally blown away and, well, smitten, I'd say. And, uh, you know, I determined from that day on that I really wanted to, I wanted a bit of that coolness. (laughs) Don't know whether I really ever got there, but.
0: (laughs) He was a cool sax player, no doubt. Uh,
1: Still doing it, isn't he? Bless him. Yeah, it's
0: stunning. John, you joined your first band in 1975, a soul funk outfit called Sister Big Stuff. Did you find it an enjoyable learning experience?
1: It was great. It was exactly what I needed because I was just twenty years old and uh, I was totally green. And the only reason they had me is because no one else applied. Um, but they they did good gigs. You know, they were sort of uh, semi pro, and they were doing air bases and nightclubs. And um, I was with them for about eighteen months, a couple of years. Uh, But it was a great, great step up for me because it it gave me an insight of how the workings, you know, workings of of bands and touring and all the rest. And we played, we we did actually support a few chart bands, uh, albeit uh, they're probably past the sell by date then, you know, foundations, uh, uh, Edison Lighthouse, we supported. there were many air bases we did a lot of, you know, American air bases, which uh, were great. You know, it it just gave me, you know, it pointed the way forward in many ways for me.
0: Great stuff. In your book, you say that in July 1977, a strange turn of events changed your life completely. What was that?
1: Oh, you're talking about the albatross around my neck.
0: <laughs> yeah, I am.
1: We're in a band called uh, Fascination and. We had an agent uh, It was based just over the road from Dingwalls, funnily enough, Dingbat uh, Agency. Um, We were doing good gigs. You know, we're a good band, uh, Soul and Funk again. And um, the agent noticed that there was a record getting played on the radio and uh, it was at the basement end of the charts. And he suspected that it was like a session man uh, affair. And he checked into it and he, he, he was totally right um so they auditioned us uh and we got the job to become black gorilla uh it was contentious at the time because half the band were dead against it because it was a bit of a novelty thing well a lot of a novelty thing uh but it did did eventually make the top 30 and uh we got to do top of the pops and all the rest of it so it it was exciting so i was still only 22 then and uh but uh I cringe, I heard it the other day from, I, I heard it in a pub the other day, and I thought, what masochist has put this on <laughs> hey I've seen it on YouTube. oh oh, say no more <laughs> I knew I nearly choked on Miss Stella honestly it was uh, awful, but
0: all I'll say <laughs> is you look cool.
1: bless you what, in <laughs> in those trousers <laughs> that's what I mean. <laughs> <laughs>
0: <laughs> after black gorilla broke up two years later your sax playing skills featured on single releases by several bands it must have been an exciting time for you
1: it was yeah it was the um the 78 79 the post punk uh new wave era uh i i think the fact that i had been on top of the pops um you know sort of helped and people thought it was cool to get me to play on stuff but uh, i don't I don't know whether I agree with that but um but it was an exciting time as uh, as John said you know I got to play with the Sinatras. as they were doing quite well uh, we did a peel session uh singles with the, uh, the pneumatics um got to play with a few uh, two tone acts as well with the pneumatics um yeah good band, good times
0: in 1980, you co-founded Swinging Laurels with Gaz Bertels. What led up to you signing a record contract with Albion Records?
1: Well, that came on, on the back of the, uh, the pneumatics. Uh, Gaz, Gaz was singing with the pneumatics at the time and he uh, it, it was a bit disillusioned and um, we talked for a while about doing something experimental. Um, but we were running both vocals and sax and we only had one keyboard, a monosynth. Um, so we got together and uh, we did a demo at Woodbine in Leamington. Uh, and we sent it to a number of record labels. Uh, and they all turned us down, except one called Dead Good, who were based in Lincoln. Uh, we recorded a single with them, but it never got released. Uh, but the guys there promised that they'd get us another deal. And eventually they got us a deal with Albion, uh, who were based in London. And. It was great. It was a one-off deal, uh, which is all we needed, really, because we just wanted a leg up. Um, but they had some decent chart-outs. They had Hazel uh, O'Connor, nine nine nine, Joe Jackson, uh, and there were they were the main guy there was a guy called a Welsh guy called Die Davis, and he'd been David Bowie's um, uh, PA guy during the main man days, during the Ziggy days. We were dead excited to sign to them, you know.
0: Excellent. I've listened to your debut single, Peace of Mind, on YouTube. It's a good track. Was it a success for you?
1: Yeah, for a debut release, it did really well. Um, It got to number one in the early indie charts. Um, uh, It got us our first Radio 1 airplay with uh, John Peel and Annie Nightingale. And we were also picking up airplay in the States um, on the college circuit. Uh so it, so it did the job really it sort of a, like gave us a platform to look for a, a you know a major label deal um so all in all yeah it did exactly what we really wanted it to do In
0: 1982 the Swing and laurel signed to major label we Are records rodeo was the first single that must have been an amazing time for the band
1: yeah it was i mean when we signed to them i mean it's like uh, when you sign to someone like warner brothers uh or John will tell you with his, um, I think CBS days, and uh, you sign to a major label and you 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 actually think right, well this is it, you know. Um, they they were telling us that Rodeo was going to be top twenty and it was getting rotational radio one play, um, uh, but it didn't it didn't chart, you know. This is quite a shock, really, as um, you know, because we'd sort of like been led to believe that this was the uh, the way forward. It did really well, but it didn't chart.
0: So there was no financial success. He didn't earn much money out of it.
1: Do you ever make any money out of this game?
0: <laughs> well, John's still picking up royalties. So, <laughs> yeah,
1: well, yeah, well, yeah. Well, John's a proper star. I'm just a drummer.
0: He's yeah, just a drummer. <laughs> yeah. What was your connection with Coventry Band Team Twenty Three?
1: The Coventry thing was really strange. I ended up working with a lot of Coventry bands. I don't know why that was, but I got a call one day from uh, the manager. I can't remember his name. Forgive me. Dave Chalmers. Yeah, I think your brass section had uh, flown the coop, hadn't they? And uh, you were left in the lurch a bit. They
0: fell out with your own... Well, I fell out with everybody, I think.
1: I think you've got a couple of gigs that you really want. Well, I know you've got the Dingwalls gig uh, penciled in. And uh, it was weird because we, learned, we we must have learned about, oh, I don't know, 20, 25 songs in two weeks. And we only ever did two gigs with you. It was, it was mad, wasn't it? And they were really, really good gigs. Great days, great days. But the the, the, co- the contrary thing for me was that it, it, right through my career, you know, with um, Rhoda and... Uh, Funboy 3 and uh, Jerry, Jerry Dammers. It's, it's like really strange that um, I, I, I've worked with so many country guys, you know, being from Leicester. Uh, but great, great times, nevertheless. In
0: 1983, the Swing and Rolls formed their own record label, Happy Records. Why was that?
1: Well, Warners dumped us uh, after a couple of singles. Um, uh, th- there was a shift in the management, the A&R structure, and the new guy... Uh, it was patently obvious that he wasn't really into the band. And um, the second single, um, they, they they seemed to under promote it. I, we were touring with Culture Club at the time, so doing high profile gigs, you know, uh, Amos Mehozian, all etc. Um, so when when they left, let us go. Polydor offered us a deal, but it was really restrictive, and we decided not to go with it. So, uh, as a lot of people were doing then, we said, "Look, we'll do it ourselves. We'll form our own label. We'll we'll get back artistic control." Because uh, I don't know whether John experienced this, but uh, with CBS, but uh, Warner's sort of like wanted us to be a three minute pop band, and uh, they smoothed all the rough edges off over time. But they were telling us what to wear, more or less, and it it really it really got to us in the end. So we thought that by having our own label identity, we may be able to gain some. Artistic control and do what we wanted, even even if it didn't come with the you know commercial success.
0: Over the years, you've played on so many tracks and many of those by top artists. Looking back, are there any standout, memorable moments?
1: I think the Funboy Three single that was great for us because it it really opened a lot of doors. I, in, in fact, that helped us get the Warner Brothers deal and it got us back on. Uh, Top of the Pops and the Cheggers and all the rest of the Super Saturday Superstore and all the rest of it. Iggy Pop, I, I loved doing that. Uh, Sinead O'Connor, Ali Campbell. I enjoyed playing on the last Funnel Wing Criminal single. That was great. They're
0: all really a happy accident. In 2004, you had your book published, How Not to Make It in the Pop World. Why did you write it?
1: Well, it was something that I'd always wanted to do. It was something that I had at the back of my mind. And, and what I was doing, I was quite an avid collector, and I see John has got his scrapbook there. Yep. Uh, <laughs> I kept ticket stubs and all the rest of it, and also... Uh, on the road stories and you know anecdotes i thought one day i'm going to put i'm going to write this down and so i started to do it it took me quite a while it took me a couple of years to get get it together but it was sort of always something that i had at the back of my mind you know
0: in the foreword of the book frank bambini wrote john barrow is truly a gentleman in a business full of snakes did you meet many snakes
1: oh yes yes <laughs> yes, yes and and uh, well I, I again i bet john could could concur there you know, it's agents, promoters, industry insiders, uh, even the music press. Um, you know, they lionize you, they build you up, and then uh, only to knock you down. As I said in the book, I, I think the industry is ten percent exhilaration, ninety percent disappointment. <laughs>
0: it's true, yeah.
1: But it's one. It's wonderful. I love it to bits. But there are there are a lot of vipers out there, without a doubt. <laughs> <laughs>
0: I read your book and John is in the middle of reading your book
1: page 81 I'm on John thank you
0: being an ex-musician I can relate to a lot of a lot of the stuff in there um, you know like fly posting and siphoning petrol I did a lot of that back in the day just just to get to gigs and vans breaking down
1: it, it makes you wonder why, why we do it doesn't it I mean I I, I I wouldn't change a thing, but, you know, th- there were some really, really tough, tough times.
0: Absolutely. And John would attest to that as well. You've been through a lot of uh, hard times on yeah. your way up to the top. Yeah, loads of uh, sharing vans and everything, and taking the seats out of vans and putting them back in at 3 o'clock in the morning.
1: Yeah. Like all, all days when you had to shift the gear yourself. On a freezing cold night in Glasgow. <laughs> character character building, isn't it, really? <laughs>
0: Absolutely.
1: That's why I'm a twisted old fruit today. <laughs> John, where
0: can people buy the book?
1: Uh, pretty much anywhere. It's uh, Amazon, Google, uh, it's on Kindle, Barnes & Noble, Apple. Most online uh, book platforms have,
0: have got it. Are there any up-and-coming projects in
1: 2023? Yeah, I've, I've got two or three albums that i played on, just like guesting. Uh I did uh, a few tracks on an album by a uh, Kenton Hall and the Necessary Measures. Uh, it's the three vinyl album uh, project and a CD project. I've got a, a swinging low single coming out, hopefully. That's been that was put back because of the COVID thing. And I've done tracks for a band called the Evil Genius Organisation. They're a dot, band. <laughs> <laughs> it's
0: not heavy metal, is it, or goth?
1: Uh no. No no it's no it's, it's really really creative stuff but it's on the darker side it, it's not metal it's it's more there's a lot of ambient stuff but it's uh, it, it, you know it's it's on the out there sort of uh, fringes but I loved it I love working with them great
0: well that sounds interesting something I'd like to hear <laughs>
1: I'll send you a link
0: <laughs> thank you john it's been an absolute pleasure having you as my guest. Thank you. And thanks to John Hewitt in the background.
1: Yeah, great to speak to you again, John. And you, John, yeah. Yeah, well, we love, we'll not have to leave it another 40 years, but... Uh, Money up the road. <laughs> yeah, I love to get out and come and see Soul Junction and, uh, and we'll have a bit of boogie. <laughs> Thank you, John. <laughs> Thank you very much indeed. Thank you. You're welcome. <laughs>
0: Charles Whedon Westover, better known as Dell Shannon, was an American singer-songwriter who shot to fame in the early 60s. One night he was performing in a club as Charlie Johnson in The Big Little Show Band when a local DJ spotted him, who then managed to secure a recording contract with Big Top Records. The first single, Runaway, co-written by Adele and Max Crook, was released in February 1961. It reached number one in the UK and America and was a hit around the world. He went on to have more hits, especially in the UK, like Hailal Gur, Little Town Flirt and Keep Searching. He toured the UK in the 60s with top British acts of the period, like Herman's Hermits and Wayne Fontana. It was in the 70s when Murray Mackenzie from Coventry started his own promotions agency, Scott Mackenzie Associates, who was instrumental in bringing over a number of American acts to tour the UK, one being Del Shannon. I apologise for any lapses of memory, but from what I recall, Del Shannon used Coventry's own Smacky as his backing band in the mid 70s. My connection with Del Shannon was when I was invited to bring my reel to reel tape recorder and microphones to a venue on the edge of Leamington or Warwick. Del Shannon wanted the gig recorded instead of hiring the Rolling Stones mobile studio. He went really cheap and got me and a couple of other people with recorders. When I did meet him, he was very friendly and we talked briefly. Then it was time for the show. I did get to see his itinerary. He was in the UK for two months and he was playing about five shows a week. What he was earning was listed too, £400 a gig. So that makes it about £16,000. I didn't find out how much the band received, but I was told for the tour he was staying mostly at the lead guitarist's house in Stoke Coventry, so his expenses were pretty minimal. Then after the tour I guess he made his way back to his California mansion in Beverly Hills. Del Shannon suffered from extreme mood swings all his life and turned to alcohol when he found success difficult to cope with. In the 80s became depressed as he couldn't accept his fame had waned, and so in February 1990 committed suicide at his home in Santa Clarita, California. He was 55 years old Coming up is a track recorded by the Funloving Criminals, written by Bobby Wormack and Harold Payne, with Huey Morgan lead vocals and guitar, Brian Lysa, keyboards, bass, trumpet, and backing vocals, Frank Bambini drums and backing vocals, Rowetta vocals, and John Barrow sax. The track was mixed by Tim Latham in New York. Daylight.
2: I swore to myself, time and time and time again. I would give up all my late nights, and I would start lying in. But you know it ain't easy. Say no, don't, no, no to all your friends. Cause the wheel said, don't get started, To everybody else is in. Daylight is gonna catch me up again Daylight but I'm just getting in Well, I've done and done it again But this is the only time
0: daylight
2: Hey, it's five o'clock in the morning this place is really jumping I see right over in the corner This big hit roll with my man, Biscuit With well, a lot of pretty girls still dancing I see happy faces and happy feet You know we are not in a hurry To get out on that cold, cold street It's just like daylight <laughs> it's gonna catch me up again Don't started till everybody else is in. It's just like daylight, it's gonna catch me up again.
0: That was Daylight by the Fun Loving Criminals. Thanks again to my guest John Barrow. On the next episode my guests will be three members of Soul Junction, a soul band based in the Midlands, and all crammed into my little music room. That was cosy. I also talk about the power of music to heal, and I shine a spotlight on Northern Soul. Uh, I think that's it. Yeah, I'm done. Till next time.